We have to appreciate what a good sport Mike was, standing in a bucket, wearing a Broncos cape. Yeah, I know. If you need to go take a shower, I get it. Um, all right, so, so we, um, as we gather this morning, we, we continue. Vince, I, I tell you, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate that our kids are learning that, and here's why. I'm 41 years old, and I'm just now trying to figure that out, right? I mean, I, I know it. I'm smart enough to know it, but, but it's not something I learned how to do, and I don't know if you guys are like this or not, but learning something as an adult and then trying to clear everything out of the way to make room for Jesus, to make room for the gospel, that's a difficult task. But, but having that early... You know, if, if I had learned to follow Jesus and that everything I had, my time, my talent, my treasure, if I had learned that all of that was Jesus's before I had any time, talent, or treasure, how much simpler would that have been to follow? Uh, but instead, I figured that out when I, I had my schedule full, and I had my budget overextended already, and, and I had, uh, I still never had any talent. But when all of that was done, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like, okay, now I, I, it's a whole lot easier to put Jesus in early than it is to literally dump everything out. That's what the kids wanted you to do. They're like, oh, dump it out. For some of us here, that's what we need to do. For some of us here, we, I mean, we, we need to basically dump our lives out because what we've been trying to do is what Vince is telling the kids not to do. What we've been trying to do is trying to take a life that doesn't live according to the God of the universe, and we've been trying to take Jesus and add Jesus to parts. And, and I could almost hear Vince saying, Maybe you literally said this, or maybe it was just happening in my head, but I could almost hear, you know what, uh, or the suggestion from the kids, well, what if, what if you just took out one thing? You know, what if you took out basketball, then Jesus would fit. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? If you, if you, just, took out, if you just took out school, or if maybe, maybe video games took up less of your life, seriously, dude, come on, video games. I don't know, who still plays them? Okay, all right. It's your life. Okay, I won't judge. Um, but, but here's the thing. We're called to put Jesus as the foundation, not as an add-on, not as a part of, but as the meaning of. And so I think it's so great that our kids are learning that now, and, and I appreciate that reminder as well. And uh, it fits so well as, as we continue through our series, this I Am series, where we're looking at the characteristics of God, the character of the God of the universe. And uh, what we talk about today, what we're dealing with today, very simply, is the love of God. Now, I say the love of God, and already some of you are like, okay, yeah, we've heard this one before, John three sixteen, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, everybody who believes, never die, inherit eternal life and we're good. I don't need to listen anymore. But here's the deal. Um, yeah, you do. See, because we get this idea that, oh, whenever we talk about God's love, that that's something for non-believers. When we talk about God's love, that's something for those people that aren't yet Christians. That's something they need to hear. That's something they need to figure out. We know God loves us, and I'm going to say this to you. Um, maybe we know that God loves us as Christians. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you probably have this intellectual understanding that God loves you. But for a lot of us, it hasn't traveled that 18 inches. 18? 
whatever it is. However far it is from my head to my heart. It hasn't got there yet. And so we need to really dig into this today. We need to really understand that God loves us. And see, the cultural um, challenge for this just simply is that if God's even real, right, if the God of the Bible is real, see, we're not sure he is in the culture we live in. We're not sure that this God is real. And if he is real, if he is holy, if he is wise, if he is all of those things that we've talked about before, if he is sovereign, if he is in control of everything, if all of those things are true, we say, if that guy is real, if that God is true, well, there's no way he could love me. Because if that God is truly sovereign and truly omniscient and truly knows everything and truly um, is holy and truly has all of this mapped out, then you know what? He knows what I think at night. He knows my last thoughts before I go to bed. He knows what I feel like when I look at those people that I don't love at work. He knows what I think about when, when I see um, the person walk in front of me that's maybe not dressed quite appropriately enough. He knows where my brain goes. He knows, he knows what I harbor in my heart. And if that God's real, then I'm not sure he could ever possibly love me. But there's something that we need to understand here as we get going. Something I need you to understand from the start is that God loves you. See, this is the thesis for today. This is what you have to understand. We start with, oh, I'm going to turn this on. And it's going to work so much better. Me and PowerPoints, I tell you, here's the deal. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's the thesis for the series. And then today we dig deep into this idea of love. And so I need you to know this as we start. If you believe that at the core of who God is, he loves you, unconditionally like crazy. And, and more than that, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that God exists outside of eternity, right? So God is, is outside of time. I said that wrong. God is, exists outside of time in eternity, and he's looking. So that means that in God's understanding of you, you have happened. The reason that's important for you to understand is because a lot of times what happens is we think that God might love a future version of us if we could just lock it up. If we could fix it, if we could get it together, if we could, if we could start putting our best foot forward day after day, if I could cut some things out of my life and I could grow up in a certain way, that then God would look at me and he would love me. But God sees all of you. So when God chooses to love you, and I mean love you, we're going to see in 1 John 3 that God does something crazy. He lavishes love on you. That when God loves you, it is irrespective of anything that you have done, and it is irrespective of anything that you will do. When God loves you, it's simply because, understand this now, because he chooses to love you. And if we really understood that God loves us because he chooses to love us, then it could revolutionize the way that we go about our everyday life. Because what the world needs, <clears throat> is it Jackie DeShannon, 1965? 
You can finish it for me. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, because it's the only thing that there's just too little of. We could, I mean, we should have had the praise team do that one this morning. Um, nobody argues with that. Nobody argues that the world is, is good on love, that we're, we're full over here. Like, take that somewhere else. We're all set. No, no, no. Of course it is. You know why? Because it's a universal need. It's a universal need. There's, there's three truths here about love that we're just going to understand as we, as we jump off. Love is a universal need. There is nobody. Now, there, there are people that will say, I don't care. I don't care if nobody loves me. I don't need anybody to love me. These are the people that are, that are kind of crotchety. They're like, I don't need anybody. I don't need nothing. Well, we know that's not true. We know it's not true. This is a universal need from the moment you're born to the second you die. We all need love. Of course we do. But the truth is this too. Listen to this now. There is a universal solution to that need. There is a universal solution to your need, to my need, to your kids' needs, to your parents' need. There's a universal solution to the need to be loved. And understand this. It is not each other. Now, you know how I feel about relationships in the church. They're important. They're necessary. It's one of the reasons why we push small groups so much. We need to be in relationships with other people. And I love my wife. And that's as close as it gets. I don't want to brag, but, but we have a plaque on our wall that says we have the world's greatest marriage. And if it's on a plaque, then it must be true. I, she normally sits here. I think she's downstairs this morning, so this is why I'm pointing to this area. I know she's not there. Some of you are concerned about me. I know she's not there right now. But, but this relationship that I have with Carrie... It's good. But can I be honest with you? She lets me down. Can I be even more honest with you? I let her down a whole lot more often. Because as soon as I start looking at Carrie, and as soon as I start expecting Carrie to meet this unquenchable, lavished love desire that I have in my life, as soon as I look at her and as soon as I expect her to do that, I've set her up to fail because there's no way she can. I want Carrie. This is, see, this is a problem that I have. I'll just confess it to you. She knows it. We talk about it. Yeah, but but I, I want Carrie to love me like only God can love me. And then when she doesn't, I get frustrated. Because that's not the universal need that I have. You know what? It's a close second, right? It looks, and those of you that are involved in relationships, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you, you, like you're thinking, like, like, that's how I meet my need. That's where my desire comes from. That's where my affirmation comes from. That's where it all happens. But it's, it, it's not the way we meet it. There's a universal need to be loved well, and there is a universal solution to that. And, and here's the problem. There is a massive disconnect. Because we have a world full of people who feel isolated and alone. 
Half the time, that's why we make the decisions we make. I mean, if we're just being honest, that's why we make decisions that we make is because we feel alone. Teenagers, close to teenagers, that's why you'll be pressured to have sex before it's time. That's why you feel that pressure. That's why it's intense. I mean, that, that's where it comes from, right? Because, because we feel this universal need to be loved and accepted and cared for. And absent of the universal solution, there are some things that feel awfully close in the moment. But there's a disconnect. Men, that's why a lot of you watch porn. Ladies, some of you too. That's why you flirt with people at work. Right? That's why you have work spouses. That's why you step out on your marriages sometimes. And it's not, it's not because I wake up today and I think, man, today is the day I'm going to make an awful mistake. But it's because we have this universal need. And so here's my question for you. What would it look like if we all loved better? What would it look like if we understood that the God of the universe loves us? And so here's the thing. Uh, my, my, my thought for you is that it would revolutionize everything that you do. And if, if we understood that God loved us that well as Christians, like, see, not just that God loves us enough to heaven, but that God loves us like crazy. If we really got that, if we really understood that, see, we're like, yeah, Matt, we get that. God loves us. That's why he forgives us of our sins. That's why we get to go to heaven. And yes, that's great. That's a truth. I I won't argue that. But it's more than that. God loves you completely, in entirety, right now, who you are so that you can rest in that love. And it would change everything about the way that you are, the way that you think, the way that you process. Look at 1 John 3, 1. Here's what it says. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It says, and and, and that is what we are. So if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, now I want to be clear, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, track this with me, God loves you like crazy. If you are here this morning and you have not said, you know what? I am living a life that that has me separated from the God of the universe. I need to turn from my sin. I need to repent. I need to get right with the God of the universe. The only way to do that is through trusting the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and saying, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I'm following you. If that's not you, if you haven't made that decision today, God still loves you. God still has crazy love for you. God is still working in your life. We're going to see that as we get to some of the ways that God reveals his love later. God is still pouring love out on you. But if you are here this morning and you are following Jesus, you are what we would call a Christ follower. If that's you, then this verse is about you. See what great love the Father has lavished. You've got to love that word lavished. Like, I don't even know exactly what that word means, except that it's rich and it's full, and it's overflowing, and it's abundant. Like, I would think, like, okay, so there's a sandwich that I like to eat. Some of you are like, no, what? It's not pizza. I know. I like pizza, too. But there's a place called Capriati's. Who's been to Capriati's? Right? Okay. Carrie introduced this to me. Now, it's called the Bobby. 
The bobby, by the way, is this deliciousness that happens that's fresh carved turkey, stuffing, some mayonnaise, and you're like, oh, it's a turkey sandwich. No, 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 because here's what happens. Cranberry sauce. I'm not talking out of the can cranberry sauce, right? I'm talking like real cranberry sauce, you know, and, and, and not just a little bit, but what makes the sandwich is, at least when I ordered, it's like, you know what? I need extra of that. And they're like, okay, so instead of one spoonful, I'll put two spoonfuls. No, 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 no. It's like, look at me. I take my sandwiches seriously. No, I, I need you to drown that thing in the cranberry sauce. I like my Bobby. That's what it's called. Lavished with cranberry sauce. And that's the way the God of the universe loves you. I mean, minus the sandwich analogy, but... but I mean, he isn't loving you a little. He's not giving you a little extra. He has lavished love on you. So much so that you get to be called a child of God. Think about that. Think about the things that you have been called in your life. If you're like me, you can come up with a lot of them that aren't awesome. Think of the things that you have been called in your life. Kids, think of the things that you've been called at school. And unfortunately, we all know that that, that those things are harsh, and they're meant to cut, and they're meant to hurt, and they're meant to twist. But here, here's the truth that God shares in Scripture. What great love that the God of the universe who creates and sustains all things, what great love that God has lavished on you that you are rightly called by your true name, which is child of God. Because that's what you are. Because that's what you are. Verse goes on to say, the reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. The reason people don't know that I am a child of God of the one true God of the universe is because they don't know him. But that's what I am. I have been lavished with the love of God. And you know what that is? That is agape type love. Okay? Chip Ingram, we, we've based this series uh, on, on his book, The Real God, and this is his definition. i share it with you for uh, the love of God. And so we're going to go through this, and I want to I break down a couple of things here. God's love is his holy disposition towards all that he has created, which compels him to express unconditional affection and selective correction to provide the highest and best quality of existence, both now and for forever, for the objects of his affection. Okay, so that's a lot of words up there in his, de- you guys thought I was, I was wordy, but, but this is his definition uh, for God's love. Let's break it apart. So God's love is his holy disposition position. Holy. Remember the word holy when we talked about God's holiness? Set apart. It's other than. It's separate from everything else. Disposition is the way that God is hardwired. So God's holy disposition, set apart from everything else, the way that God operates is to love you. Think about this. As, as a parent, if you're here as a parent, grandparent, or people in your life that you love dearly that are younger, like, you worry about them? 
It's in your disposition to care for them, to provide for them. You know what my dad still, still wants me to do? It drives me nuts. Always drove me nuts. Call me when you get there. Call me when you get there. Like, Dad, I'm going five minutes away. Call me when you get there. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll text you. No, 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 I don't text. He doesn't text. Can you believe that? Guy still uses a track phone. <sighs> Whatever. Um, but call me when you get there. Travis and I uh, and Riley all met in the Quad Cities. This is a few weeks ago uh, for a Thursday night Bears-Packers game. It didn't end well for us Bears fans. You Packers fans, well, I don't care. Um, and we watched this game, and it got over. And not only that, there was a lightning delay during the game. So it was a Thursday night game. It was late. There was a lightning delay. And Travis couldn't be late to school the next morning because we were going to spend the night and then just go in the morning, and he'd miss like a half hour. But couldn't be late because he had football that night and can't be tardy and play football and all this fun stuff. And I love my son, and I wanted him to play football and all this good stuff. So we left at about 1130 at night to drive back to Vinton from the Quad Cities. Call me when you get there. I didn't call. I wasn't being obstinate. I forgot. I was tired. I got home. I got Travis in the house. Um, and, and I collapsed in the bed, and I went to bed, and that was the end of it until I saw that I had a message in the morning. Are you there? Of course, my dad works third shift, so he was up all night. And what was he doing all night long? He was worrying because I hadn't called. Like, Dad, I'm 41 years old. I'm going to be okay. He's like, yeah, you never stop worrying about your kids. And now I've done this thing. This is the dog. I've started telling Riley. Text me when you get home. She's like, Dad, I'm 45 minutes away. I don't care. Text me when you get there. Why? Because that's how we're predisposed. Okay to love our kids that way. God's love is holy, it is separate, and he is disposed for goodness towards us. He's, um, to all he's created, and he is compelled. Compelled, it's just, it's a forceful thing with him. If you've ever been compelled to do something, you, you just don't have a choice. It's like, I have no choice, but I need to act in this way, and so God is wholly disposed towards those he's created, and he's compelled to express unconditional agape affection love. And selective correction. We hate that part, but, but you know, oftentimes when, when God selectively corrects, always when God selectively corrects, that's an act of love. And the fact that it's selective, check this, that is the mercy of God. The fact that God is long suffering. As parent, I get this. So I walked in. So last night, I did laundry. All day long yesterday, did laundry. Finally, it's the end of the day, like eight loads later. My kids wear a lot of clothes. Eight loads later, Aubrey, here's your laundry basket. Fold to the brim of folded, clean clothes. And all I want you to do, this is it, is put them away. Because I think, like a half of what I washed today hadn't been worn. And I'd really like it if that wouldn't happen again. Who's with me? Parents, you got me? 
Feeling me? Yep. Okay. So I'd really love it if that didn't happen again. So could you put these away nicely? They're folded. They're ready to go. And then I go into her room at the end of the day. I swear to you to say goodnight. I love you. And they're all over the floor. Now, she was looking for something. We're taking pictures today, and she had a specific shirt that she was looking for. But are you kidding me? (laughs) But I'm like, you know what? It's 10 o'clock at night. It's not the time. So instead, we'll talk about it at church tomorrow in front of everybody. (laughs) I probably didn't think that through as well as I could have. (laughs) But the point is, the point is that just because there's a correctable offense doesn't mean that it always needs to be corrected in that moment. God is long-suffering. Listen, I screw up daily. God is not looking to whack me over the head for every single sin. It's the mercy of God. Withholding mercy. Withholding what I naturally deserve. Next week, we talk about the justice of God, and so we'll get into that a whole lot more, but I would really encourage you to be here for that as we talk about questions of heaven and hell and reward and um, punishment and all of those things. We'll get into that a whole lot more next week, but, but God selectively corrects for our good. He withholds, oftentimes, uh, the correction we deserve And he's waiting for the opportune time because what God wants is to correct behavior. Not to beat us down, not to hurt us, not to crush us, but he wants to build us up. Okay? And then for the highest and best quality of existence, God does these things. Why? Well, God does these things because he wants the abundant life that he's promised you to be yours. Jesus says that. I've come to give you life. Life to the fullest. Life abundant. I want you to have everything that you were designed to have. God says, I wired you, I created you, I've made things happen around you, and I want the absolute best for you. I want you to experience to your heart's content. I want you to feel satisfied. I want you to feel joy. I want you to know that you are loved and affirmed and cared for. I want you to have all of that. That's the abundant life that that Jesus has called us to that's offered. And God's love says that he is working to have that in your life. He's working to fill that in your life. He's working to make that a reality. Okay, and so here's the deal. Just real quick, if we understood this, if we got this about God's love, if we really believed that God loved us like that, then then these these are statements that we would always agree with. God's thoughts and intentions for you are always good and never to harm. See, there's some of you here that believe that God is out to get you. Some of you here that naturally believe that God is out to get you. But if you really understood the love of God, you would get this. God's thoughts and intentions for you are always good. They're never to harm you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. And they are plans for good, for hope, and a future. And that's written to the nation of Israel, but it's true for the church and it's true for those in it today. I know the plans I have for you and they are plans for good. They are plans to prosper you. not to hurt you. Two, God is kind, approachable, and friendly towards you. John 15, 
You know the story, right? It's the Last Supper. Uh, They gather in John 13. He washes the feet. They talk about betrayal. Peter says, I'll die for you. Jesus says, yeah, right, you're going to run away um, in just a few hours. Uh, But then he says in John 14, but don't let your heart be troubled. It's going to be okay. And they want to know, how is it going to be okay? Uh, Show us God and we'll know it's going to be okay. And Jesus says, man, you've seen God because you've seen me. And then we get to John 15, and he says this grand thing. Understand this. This is Jesus talking to you, Christian. Here's what he says. You're my friend. He says, masters don't share their plans with slaves. You're not my slaves. You're not my bond servant. He says, what you are is you're my friend. That's why I've shared this with you. That's why I love you. That's what this is about. Jesus calls you, Christian, friend. That's what he said to people that were about to betray him, about to run away from him, about to to choose themselves over him. Listen, he didn't say that because of who they were. He didn't say that because of what they were going to become. He said that simply because he loved them. And he tells it to us, he says, look, Jesus says to you, I am your friend. Why? Just because I love you. Not because of how good you are, not because of what you've done, not because of what you will do, but just because I love you. Get this one. God has chosen to let your happiness affect his own. Wrap your head around that for a second. The God of the universe cares about you so much that he has chosen to let your happiness, your countenance, your emotions impact and affect his. Jesus stands at the gate uh, or, or the, the entrance to Lazarus's tomb. And what's he do? He looks at Mary. He looks at Martha. He sees the hurt and the brokenness in their heart. He looks at all of Jerusalem and he sees how lost it is and he sees how desperate it is. And what's he do? He breaks down and weeps. Why? Because the God of the universe cares so deeply about you that he has decided to allow your happiness your emotions to directly impact his. When you hurt, listen to me now. God hurts. When you feel deeply, God feels deeply. And finally there we see that God's love means that he is actively and creatively orchestrating people, places, and things and events to express his affection towards you. God is doing things. Why? Because he wants to express his love and affection towards you. Okay, now this one's going to blow some of your minds. Some of you are going to be like, I get that. Some of you are going to be like, yeah, show your work. Okay. I am an expression of God's love towards you. I mean, the fact that you're here, the fact that I'm here, and I'm opening God's word to you, and I'm sharing what he has for you, and I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to teach you some of these things in scriptures, I am an expression of God's love for you. God has chosen to pour his love out to you through me. But you know what? It's more than that. God's done that to me through you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, 
If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're like, yeah, but just circumstance brought me to church. Say, no, 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 no. God has drawn you here. God is working circumstances and events and people actively in your life, orchestrating things so that he can express his affection to you. Perhaps if you're here today and you do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. If that's you here this morning, perhaps this is the moment where you will be able to look back and say, you know what? God was doing all of these things through my neighbors, my friends, my co-workers, the invitations to church, everything else. God was doing all of these things because he wanted to show me that he loves me like crazy. It's not an accident that you're here. But God is orchestrating these things so that you will know that you are loved and cared for by the God of the universe. Okay? All right, now we've been talking about this uh, um, subtly here, the ways that God reveals this, different things that he does. We're going to look at, at, at five different things in Scripture. We'll look at them pretty quickly, and we're going to see how God has done this. And you're going to see these, and you're going to be like, well, that's familiar, Matt. Yeah, because every week when we say, okay, how has God revealed his wisdom? How has God revealed his goodness? How has God revealed his character? How has God revealed his sovereignty? We, all, we see these same themes come through, and hopefully you've picked up on that on your own, but, but here we are in, in week seven of this 10-week series, and now it's time for me just to point it out to you directly. If you haven't got there on your own, it's okay, don't feel bad, um, but now I'm just going to paint the picture for you, okay? Uh, the way that God reveals his character is almost always through the same things. He orchestrates the same things to reveal his character. So let's look at this. God reveals his love to us through creation. He's revealed all kinds of things to us through creation, but his love through creation also. Genesis one, um, we see God, what is it, 26, 1, 26, and 27, God says, let's make people. People don't exist. God doesn't need people. God's created a whole world. And he says, you know what? Let's make people. And not just let's make people, but let's make people in our image. Let's make people personally. He says, let me do this thing where I get intimate with creation. See, he speaks everything else into existence. Speaks it into existence. Let there be light. Let there be a land. Let it be separated. Let there be sky. Let there be plant life. Let there be animals. Let there be, let there be, let there be. But people, he says, no, no, no. Let's get personal. So he takes the dirt and he forms and he breathes the breath of life into Adam and then for Eve, he causes Adam to fall into this sleep, and he, he takes from Adam, and he creates woman. It's personal. It's intimate. Why does he do it? Get this. Because he wanted to. Why does God create people? For no reason other than it pleased him to do so. God doesn't need us. God wanted us. Why? For him. Look at Colossians 1.16. For through him, that's through Jesus. For through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Why? Everything was created in him and for him. Everything was created in him and for him. Hey, kids, let me ask you this question. Do your parents like it better when you spend $3 to buy a card at the store 
that takes you four minutes to go in, pick out, pay for, write your name on, and get back in the car? Or do they prefer it better when you make them a homemade card? Which one? Go ahead. Yeah, they prefer it when you make them one. I'm glad that you answered that way. Otherwise, I was going to have to talk to your parents. Um, But yeah, no, handmade is better. And, And some of you, I'm not an artist. I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but some of you are artists. And you know that things you make for yourself, they matter. You prefer and God makes us for himself. So, so just understand this, this thing here. That's the one. What I make for me matters. What's homemade matters. What God makes for him matters. And get this, God made you. Why? For his pleasure. He made you so that he could love you. For no reason other than that. Not because he knew you were going to be awesome. Not because he thought you were going to do great things. See, some of you are so worried about trying to to understand. You You want to be loved, you want to be loved, you want to be loved. And so you work so hard to be loved. You try to present yourself in this perfect way right? You won't leave the house without being uh, prepared and ready and presentable, or you try to to encourage um, love. You try to get self-affirmation. You work hard for it. You want people to pour into you. Why? Because you want to feel loved. Get this. The God of the universe made you simply so that he could love you. You are valued. You are loved just because you are Second way, providence. Here's, we hate this one, but, but I'll share it anyway. Matthew 5, 44, 45 says, pray for those who persecute you, for he gives his sunlight, this is God, he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. God is loving towards people even if they aren't Christians. Acts 17 kind of spells it out this way. He says, Um, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Uh, Since the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. Get this part right here. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every single need. This is the God of the universe who satisfies needs. His providence, he makes it rain. He makes the sunshine. We got a lot of farmers in here. You know what? He does all of that. But here's the thing. It's not just for you, Christian. Guess what? Non-Christians have bumper crops too. Non-Christians fall in love. Non-Christians have beautiful marriages, beautiful children. They get the job they really wanted. Oftentimes, non-Christians will get the promotion. They'll be artists. They'll be... be, um, scientifically minded or or other kinds of ways god blesses listen if you're here today and you are a non-christian and you're like yeah you know what my life is going fine god blesses you god pours grace out on you why because he wants to because he loves you he makes the sun rise and the rain come on the just and the unjust alike And why? Well, why does he do that? Well, Acts 17 tells us, as we wrap up that text in verse 27, it says this, his purpose was that people would seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. If God's good to you, it's for a reason. Listen, 
If you're here today and you don't know God and God's pouring love out on you and your life is working, it's for a reason. It's because he wants you to look up and see him. Three, oh, through his discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 says, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one as he accepts his children. We hate this one. But we know that one of the ways that God loves us is through his discipline. Just like one of the ways I know my parents loved me is that they disciplined me. And I had friends that weren't disciplined. And I may have for a second as a kid thought, man, I'm so jealous of them. But it was all a matter of love. I know that now. My kids sometimes wish I wouldn't discipline them. They sometimes wish they wouldn't have to follow through. They sometimes wish they wouldn't have to do But you know what? There'll be a point in time where they understand that all of that discipline was an act of love. I, I have the benefit now of having an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old who sometimes don't see it and having a 25-year-old who can say, yeah, boy, remember when I was so mad about that? Thanks for doing that. Like, I get to have that conversation with Riley, uh, which gives me strength and resolve with, with, you know, the teenagers. But God disciplines because he loves, just like we discipline because we love. Through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You know we talk about this all the time. If you are a Christian here, as soon as you say, yes, I'm following Jesus, here's what happens. You are, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 your old life dies, you're born again, you become a born-again Christian. There are lots of different ways to say this. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? You've heard that one. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. We read the, the epistles. The Holy Spirit is a seal on your life. The Holy Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption, okay? That's what happens, Okay? You're given a spiritual gift. Why? Not for you, but for the edification of the church. All of this happens when you become a believer, and all of it happens through the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And Romans 5, 5 tells us that that is God pouring love into your heart in the person of the Holy Spirit. That that is for your good, that God is pouring love into your heart for the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the way that works. And the Holy Spirit loves you like crazy. Some of you, have had moments in your life. I've had moments where I've been grieved, but they don't hold a candle to some of you. To some of the moments that some of you have been through where you have been grieved and life has been heavy and things have weighed down on you and there's so much pressure and everything seems tragic and bad and awful. It feels like it'll never be right again. But you same people that have been there, you know that comfort comes. That peace that's unexplainable, it has no business getting in your life, shows up. That, that things that should devastate you, they should wreck you, they should ruin you forever. But yet somehow, there's something that happens that reminds me or it gets me through or it prompts me in scripture or it, it speaks softness to my heart or the right person at the right time. It's God loving you through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's poured that into you as a believer. Why? Because he wants to be with you. And then finally, we get this last way. 
the most excellent way. I think I say that every week. This is the most excellent way that God demonstrates his fill in the blank. Well, this is the most excellent way that God demonstrates his love towards you through the incarnation. Incarnation is just a fancy way of saying through um, the God of the universe becoming flesh. We would call Jesus God incarnate. God incarnate just means in flesh. God in flesh, the incarnation is the action of God sending Jesus to earth to live as a human, to be fully God, fully man. And here's why he does it. Luke 19.10 says this, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That is the mission statement of Jesus, to seek and save those who are lost. By the way, that's the mission of the church. We look at Matthew 28. It's the same mission. What do we do? We go and make disciples. We teach them. We grow them up. Why? So that they can go and make disciples, right? It's this disciples who make disciples who make disciples cycle. Why? Because we have the mission, same as Jesus, to seek and save those that are lost. And Jesus does this, right? We read this all through the parable of the, of the 10 coins, right? The lady has nine of them. She loses one. What does she do? She empties out the house so that she can find this one coin. Kind of like Aubrey did to find her one shirt. I'm going to get over it in like the next 10 minutes. The sheep, 100 sheep. I got 99 of them safe. I lost one. What's he do? He leaves the 99 to go and he finds the one. The son. The son who's lost. The prodigal son who's far away, living in squalor, living in sin. What's the father doing? He's out at the edge of his property, watching, waiting, longing, seeking what is lost. To the point that when the son returns, the father opens his arms and he embraces him and he, and he brings him in. This is the God of the universe. This is how he loves. It's the woman at the well. The woman at the well. You want to know how well Jesus loves, how well God loves? It's the woman at the well who is by all human, earthly standards detestable. Like, we got a lot of names that we would use for her in our culture. She gets into a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus kind of baits the hook a little bit, like, hey, go get your husband. She's like, I'm not married. No, no, you're not. You've been married four or five times already. You're not married now, are you? But you're shacked up. Not married, but you're shacked up. And the woman, she changes the subject. She's like, okay, okay, well, time out. Let's talk about this instead. Let's talk about this thing instead. No, 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 it doesn't work. Jesus brings it back, and, and basically Jesus speaks to her heart, and here's what he says. He says, if you'd asked me, I would give you living water. See, Jesus is basically saying this. You know the thing that your heart has been longing for? The thing that you have been desperate for? The thing that you have been searching for? Um, you know that song, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places, and what you didn't know is that what you need is me. You didn't know it before, but you know it now. What you need is me. Stop looking for it everywhere else. Stop looking for approval. Stop looking for affection. Stop looking for affirmation. Stop looking for comfort. Stop looking for all of that somewhere else. I am standing in front of you. If you ask, I will give you living water. I will give you my love for you. Why? Not because you're worth it. Not because you're going to be worth it, but simply because I love you like 
crazy. That's the offer that Jesus makes. He makes it to the woman at the well who so desperately needs it, and she's been looking for it in all the wrong places, and he says, I'm for you, and he makes it to us. See, it's this simple. Remember this. We talked about this every week almost in this series. You know how I know something is valuable? How much somebody's willing to pay for it. I can tell the value of a thing based on how much somebody is willing to pay to have it. That's how you set the price. You cost the shed blood of God incarnate. You cost the blood of Jesus. Why? Because God loves you like crazy. You can stop looking for affirmation from other people. You can stop looking for it in the world around you. You can stop looking for it in a lot of places. Here's what you can do. You can know that you are valuable because the God of the universe was willing to die for you. That's it. It's the only proof you need. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us. As we do, we're also going to take this moment to collect our morning's offering. If you're visiting with us today, this would be a perfect time for you. Just fill out that tear-off card on your, on your thing and um, on your bulletin and toss that in the offering plate. This is something that you should feel no obligation to participate in, but it is something that those of us that call Blessed Hope home, that we do to fund the ministries of the church, which are all about the gospel of Jesus. It's important, okay? Uh, it's important that we share the gospel with people that need to know it. Okay, and so I'm going to ask you to pray with me, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll take some time uh, to collect our offering, and we'll sing praise together. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. We thank you for the truth that you love us. We thank you for the truth that we are worth your son. Not because of anything good about us, but because that's the price that you set. It's the price that you paid. God, we just... We come before you and we're just humbled. And so we, we ask you, in light of the way that you love us, help us to respond like the woman at that well, knowing that we're not worthy, knowing that we've been searching in the wrong places, knowing that we've been trying to build ourselves up based on the way that other people think about us rather than the way that you love us, knowing that, that we've been there, maybe not as bad, but God, we've been there. Help us respond like her to just give it all up, to be so excited about the fact that you love us like that, that we're willing to tell everybody about it, that we're willing to take the love that you give us and we're willing to share it. And it's this great dynamic principle, God, that the more we give, we never run out. That the more of your love that we share with other people, the more we experience ourselves. We will never run dry. God, we thank you for the truth that you love us and that you always have, and that you will never stop. And Father, we, we ask you as we collect this offering this morning that you take it, that you multiply it, that you bless it. Use it to bring people to the kingdom. Use it to bring hope where there's hopelessness and bring life where there's death and light where there's darkness. Use it in ways we can't even begin to imagine. Father, we love you. 
We praise you. We thank you. Amen.